With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of Just Getting Started. It's episode 11 right here on this podcast, and it's going to be a fun one. I've known this man for a very long time. Wait till you hear it how I met him and how I know him and uh, why I adore him in so many different ways. He's got a new podcast himself called Here For You, and I hope you're ready for a laugh because he's gonna provide many of them. Here on this episode of Just Getting Started, my friend Bob Saget. Here's my guest on Just Getting Started. I love this man. He is one of the best human beings on the planet, not only because I've known him a long time, but also he was at my bachelor party and he's kept quiet about it ever since. (laughs) And he's got uh, a podcast, Dynamite Podcast. He is here for us right now. He's Bob Saget. How are you, Bob? I'm good, Rich. When I see you, I miss you horrifically. You know what? It's funny. I'll tell this story. I have known you. I've been married. What? Jeez coming up on 20 years and I've known you before that. right I've known you that long um but I'm and, and and there's few people who I adore like you Bob and this is a perfect story for it here I am uh in Cleveland Ohio just two weeks ago getting ready to do the NFL draft and it's a big bear of an assignment I mean literally a huge assignment for me it's hours upon hours upon hours of preparation on top of actually trying to execute it uh with aplomb and professionalism uh, and energy as I possibly can. And I look down at my phone and I'm wondering who the hell is calling me? Literally, who the hell is calling me? And there's few people I would actually answer my phone for. It's obviously my wife, Susie, who you've known longer than And me. love very much. My mother uh, is one. Who I love very much. And <laughs> <laughs> Name anyone yes. else. Anyone else. True. And then, and then it's I look down at my phone and it says Bob Saget is calling. And I honestly answered the phone and I said, is this your ass calling me? Or is this really you calling me? Like I thought it, and it was you calling me, Bob. It was legitimately yeah, you calling but me. But I was using my ass to call you. I, I, I'm able to do that. When I butt dial, I actually dial with my butt. That's impressive that you would be able to do that. Thank you. But you were calling me because you were you were about to go on a, on a Philadelphia radio or something like that? No, right? it was Barstool Sports, the NFL pick, because I'm an Eagles fan. But I wasn't current on the draft picks at all. But you were, though. You gave me two or three choices, like which ones are going to be. And I, you know, I gave you a couple of them. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you you already had the one that, that they chose. Is that, did you? Well, I actually had spoken to, here we go, history. I had spoken to Michael Price, who uh, is a Philadelphia Eagles fan yes. and a friend. And he gave me some intel. But then I thought to myself, I'm desperate i i need more and so i knew you were in the middle of it i knew because i i i look i went right to your page and i knew that you were in the middle of it but i figured maybe he'll answer and just go just leave me alone okay please just uh here but you gave me a lot and you even told me a phrase about one of the gentlemen but actually i picked 
I picked the the gentleman. You did. You uh, picked Devonte Smith. You picked him. I did. And 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 they freaked out. <laughs> and uh, it was, and I freaked out because thank you. <laughs> and then I showed this on the air, which only you could see, which is an Eagles fan card. Yes, it is. But I'm in like a tuxedo because that's the only picture we had at the time, <laughs> instead of a jersey that says Eagles on it. And uh, everybody since I did that uh, Barstool Sports thing yeah. has been asking for how much are those cards? I'm not selling them. I mean, I'd mail them to people. You know, it's funny that I had I had the same, I still have them, fan of the game cards. And uh, God bless my late dad. He would give them out to people who would come to the house and recognize my photograph on the pictures that they had in his uh, in his house in his condo, and they be and they say, "Oh, is that your son, the guy from NFL Network?" And he'd say, "Yes." And if they did a good job, he'd give them a card. If they didn't go to do a good job, screw it. He was not giving. He was not wasting. <laughs> so basically, he would call up and say, "So you know, came to the house. You know, we needed something to do. We had a plumber come to the house. A big fan of yours." I'm like, "Dad, was he card worthy? Yes, he was card worthy. He gave them a fan of the game." <laughs> Was he he had literally worthy. like a stack of them. He was the only human being on the planet who had these fan of the game cards. So I'm thrilled that you have one too. Did your parents have a museum in the house basically <laughs> dedicated to you? Yes. A shrine. I, I was all over the house. There were TV guide covers. There's newspaper articles. She had a, my mother had a file on me. I'm like, mm, do you work for the CIA? <laughs> or <laughs> I mean, what are you, or are you, do you want to work for Variety as an intern? What are you doing? And then my dad would be, so I saw you on television today. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's you know, dad, what I do, that's what I, you know, knock on wood, what I do for a living here. So I saw you on TV. Wow, boy, you know, you 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 wore a sharp shirt today. Like, literally, that's the sort of stuff I would get from my, from my dad. Mine was my mother saying, uh, I'm going to have to do her voice. She went, Bobby, could you do me a favor? I saw you on The Tonight Show. You were very good, but could you please stop saying that I wear a Viking helmet and culottes and tit plates? Please don't say tit plates. Because they let me say it, and they didn't bleep it. But it was about my mom, and that's always kind of got me into trouble. Uh, you know, and it's not always directed at the right people. So uh, I have learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I um, I had an HBO special once where I did a bit about my middle daughter, who's all my daughters are brilliant and wonderful and enabled women. I mean, 34, 31, 28. Hike. That's <laughs> and the the middle one I had talked about doing the laundry and there was a thong in the laundry. And I was just doing a dad joke, which was, I'm doing the laundry. I'm a single dad at the time and uh, was for a long time, for 23 years since uh, their mom and I got divorced. And we just were talking a minute before we started this podcast. So yes, we're friends. And uh, I know you didn't ask, but um, the, that's what's great about having me as a guest. You can go on hiatus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get something to drink. Hold on, but I love it. It's great. Hold on, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. But, but I, I ended up saying that doing the laundry, it wasn't a thong. It looked more like an eye patch for a pirate. And I started going, aye. And my daughter said she got so much crap in school for that. And that's when I think there was a, after that special, there was a turning point in a lot of the stuff that I said uh, as I got older. And then I, I got roasted. And then that I had no control. In. And I actually 
didn't like some of the roasts are cruel and um, right. you know, it can be and they shouldn't be televised actually well you got to speak <laughs> to your should. buddy jeff ross about that sort of thing I mean, jeff's jeff amazing at it you know and greg giraldo was amazing and nikki glazer's fantastic you know certain people are just so great at it um but you know i, w- I would know how to do it now a little better but sitting there and taking the beating that's uh that's enough of that Right. So uh, the pod here called Just Getting Started. How did you get started, Bob Saget? How did what, what what's your start here? Before on the podcast before quarantine, I um, wanted to do a podcast. I've been out touring, doing stand up, and thank God I'm going back again. Uh, now I started a couple weeks ago, and I'm no. But I, I meant I meant how did you get started in your career? We'll get to your podcast. Later oh, my on. whole career. I think yes, how did my, I get started I about, in a about, podcast? I'm talking about my podcast is called just getting started. There's the, there's the, there's the, so logo the theme right of the podcast. Oh, yes, sir. Is your podcast. Yours. Yes. Yes. Is how did you, <laughs> your guest get started? Yes. And then, okay. and then we'll get to the here and now later on. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah. before quarantine, I, I, <laughs> It's a guy that no matter what stays You're to the answer. No, no. You, let me finish the sentence. I was born. <laughs> I was born uh, 64 years before quarantine. Yes. Um, <laughs> from Dolly Saget. And uh, and I was her uh, fourth child. And, um, and it's a, it was a difficult birth because uh, she was my mother. And... <laughs> and i loved her a lot i had a great dad and then i was always trying to make friends and and i made eight millimeter movies and put friends in them since i was nine years old and made 60 hours of eight millimeter super eight and then started to get into 16 millimeter and then (laughs) i moved in the middle of ninth grade in the middle from norfolk virginia to encino california to learn materialism properly and then uh in the middle of 11th grade and 12th i moved back from encino to philly where i was born and went to uh abington high and and to make friends i made movies and put people in these movies and then when i moved back to philly i started doing stand-up just started doing it um did comedy songs and i won a wmmr radio contest at a club called grandma minnie's who I'd seen the unknown comic perform at. And then they said there was an open mic and you could win $500. And I won the contest for singing a song about bondage. Where did Bob's <laughs> comedy come from? 17 year old guy singing a song about bondage. Bondage? Do you? Bondage. Do you- Good, clean, fun. It's bondage for everyone. Masochists and sadists unite one and all. Bondage is the rage. Come on, let's have a ball. Ooh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you have it, your guitar? Are you playing your guitar? In, oh yeah. Your, okay, well, okay, what else course. am I going to do? I mean, okay. just that right. would that would have just bombed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was I, the joke was it's a seventeen year old with a comb over and welding glasses singing a song about bondage. You know, super nerd. So I would always have a sixth sense of humor. Uh, got it from my dad, and it's how we got through life. And because uh, we had a lot of, a lot of tragedies, so then I would take the train to New York. And wait in line 12 hours, do the sign-up sheet at Catch Rising Star and the improv. And then at the same time, you ask the question, it's the name of your podcast. This is great. The answer is longer than the podcast. <laughs> um, and then I, I went to school at Temple University, was a pre-med student, sucked at that because I don't know what numbers are. And then I do if it's an F-stop or a lens size. So I went to the film school and uh, made a documentary 
and won the Student Academy Award for a doc I made about my nephew, Adam, who you know. You've met yeah, Adam. Of course. And um, he's doing really well. And he went through surgery. That's what the movie was about, face surgery. It was a very serious documentary. And he narrated it. That's why it won anything, because Adam was is a very special guy. Right. So you're So you're doing all this stuff. And let me just pause for a second. And so you're taking the train while you're a pre-med to figure out if you really want to do this? Or you knew from the very beginning this is what you wanted to do? Like, why pre-med? Did not know. I swear to God, I didn't know. Well, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to help people. And then for some reason, I found out comedy kind of can do that in a weird way. Sure. But especially if you're operating on their lungs. <laughs> um, I'm not a licensed doctor, but I am going <laughs> to... I'm going to cut you open and tell you jokes. Um, so when people in my audience have trouble breathing, I just go and cut the trach. I go right in. I do what a paramedic would do. Um, but I uh, also did improv comedy, uh, sketches, long sketches, uh, with a group called Mixed Nuts uh, that were at University of Pennsylvania. So I was one of the few Temple people or out of any school outside of U of P uh, that got to perform in their all-star review, their big show. And um, so I was doing improv, studying film, and uh, making films, or trying, if you call them films, and doing stand-up. So it was all, I, I developed an act, Steven Starr, the restaurateur, uh, owned a comedy club called Stars, and I opened for uh, Frank Stallone and Valentine. And I opened for Rich Hall, who used to Rich be on Hall Letterman a lot. SNL. Yeah, SNL. Yeah, and SNL. Sure. Really funny guy. I knew him from early days at Stars at this club. And so I was a, a Philly. I, I, I grinded my eye teeth. Right. <laughs> While I was welding and I had the grinder, I got nothing. But that's what happened. That's okay. how funny I was. So, so no, no, I came but, to L.A. Right. So then you come to L.A. and then you hit it. Because, like, again, I guess – because we had Bill Burr on a couple of episodes ago, Bob, and he remembered a time where it was snowing outside. You know, he's up there in Boston. He had a gig in Providence, and he literally thought, you know, like, do I stay at home? And it's nice and warm, and I could, you know, drink. It's right around, you know, the holidays and do his reveling. Or do I get in the car and I got it? This is the gig. This is the life I chose. And he got in the car. Like, and did you have any moments like that for yourself where you thought maybe? Mine was accidental I, I mean i i came to la i didn't go to my graduation from temple university because i won the student oscar so the academy flew me out with nine other winners and i met howard koch uh, who was the president at the time of, of the academy and the head of paramount and uh, steven spielberg i met after close encounters is when i met him and and i met all these people and then i went up at the comedy store because i brought my guitar and and I would sing while my guitar gently weeps and turn a valve and water would pour out of the guitar. That's You had to be within the first two rows or there's no joke. I mean, it's not a magic act and props are not well thought of. And music acts are right above mime to some people. But I wrote good comedy songs, I thought, and it, it worked out. And the owner of the comedy store, Mitzi, said... You shouldn't go to, I was going to go to USC grad school. You shouldn't go to grad school. You should work here. And I went, okay. And then the next night, uh, I got a spot and Letterman was my first MC. Uh, Get out and of it here. was, 
Do you want me to leave? No. That's oh, a you phrase. Said, yeah, I, that's oh, a turn. That's a phrase. I don't know that's a lot of way. phrases. No. So Letterman, Letterman get out of town. Yeah. So I can't get on a I get on a train. All of a sudden, you're taking it too literally. So Letterman was the Letterman was the MC of your first night at the spot. Yeah, he was. And he was a hero the moment I saw him. I mean, he was like one of the stars of the store. And Leno was there and Michael Keaton and Billy Crystal. All these people were there. And that week, within the first two weeks, I met Robin and I met Richard. And Williams people and Lewis, were coming up. Those are the people? Or Pryor? Richard Pryor and, um, and Robin Williams. And, um, and I knew them my whole uh, career. Yeah, so that was, I literally was like a guy that had weird stuff that I said. I just said weird stuff. I didn't curse a lot, but I did when I was allowed to. You know, when I was on the road, I was like a headliner right away in my early 20s because I was on Make Me Laugh. Show, oh, I remember Make that show. Laugh. Sure, of course. Bobby Van, right? Wasn't wasn't Bobby Van was the host of that show? I remember that. Sweet, sweet guy. And a lot of comics. Bruce Baum, Baby Man Baum helped me get on there, and that show had... Gary Shandling on it, and Howie Mandel, and the unknown comic was one of the popular ones, Murray Langston, and God, a lot of people were on it. Mike Binder, um, and Marty Cohen, a comedian, helped get me on there, and Bruce Baum made sure that I could get on there. So, did you get any advice from any of these people that you remember that was helpful at all, Bob, or you just were well figuring it out by yourself, or what? Robin came up to me and my act was just all esoteric, weird things. I would say, I have no friends and I have no life and I live in a moped. And my mother is Gumby and my father is Pokey and I'm Mr. Potato Head. It was all the same rhythm with different words. And Robin came, Williams came over to me and I had just gotten off stage. And when people are coming over to you that you know are the, are the ones that are really good, uh, it's it's a pretty exceptional thing that happened at in my at 22 years old mm-hmm. and robin came over and he went so your your mother is gumby and your father is pokey and you're mr potato head and i went yep he went okay <laughs> and then we talked for a little bit and then you know we just and then it's funny because dave collier had moved out um to LA and then he was and Robin said oh who's he he the the winged angel that does Popeye and that was before Robin before Robin right. had just done the sequel to Laugh-In mm-hmm. you know Laugh-In 2 mm-hmm. before Mork and Mindy and it, he people just know you, you know who's good you know you could tell uh, and Robin complimented me by letting me know that he thought I was somebody he wanted to talk to and then it was just a very interesting time. And then I was there for eight years and I ended up emceeing. So, you know, just getting started for me was a very long just getting started. And it always is. It's, I have seven year phases where I scare people and then I don't anymore. And then people misinterpret me. You grow on people, Bob. You grow on people. I mean, so does algae. So does, you know, fungi. Mouth sores. This is There's many so, things. This is so uh, fascinating to me we, because we I, never had this conversation. No, but that's actually. what this. This is what this pod is all about, right? So, what would you consider your 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 biggest break outside of obviously walking into a, a the comedy store just at its height and zenith, and then you have you know all of these people as your colleagues. 
Right. Well, they weren't my colleagues. They were my they were my elders. You know, they. But they then you were, became uh, they became your colleagues, though. You know, and longtime friends. Some so. of them. But when Arsenio went off to do Arsenio, and I was still hosting the main room, yes, I was bringing out Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, but I wanted to be on television. And then Howie years before went and did St. Elsewhere, and I love them. So it wasn't competitive. It was like well, I want to be on. I want to work. I guess one there are two things that happened for me that were significant. And that, that was uh, the Rodney Dangerfields, his very first young comedian special. I actually introduced him to Sam Kennison because Sam had, I had met in Houston. Sam came out to the comedy store and um, I told Mitzi to watch him, but two other people had already called. So he didn't need me. And then once he got on stage at the comedy store, he didn't need anybody. You know, it was, it was this amazing. Uh, so is, is that how Sam Kennison wound up and back to school? Because you, you introduced him? Yeah. Well, I would I wouldn't say I'm the reason. I, I you know I would say that it would have happened anyway. Sure. But I did. I was there saying Rodney, this is Sam Kennison, and then Rodney went, "Excuse me, Bob, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, Sam, man, man, I can't believe it, man. Unbel- you're unbelievable." And he, um, uh, Rodney, was just you know he put me on that young comedian special. I was on before Sam, and uh, I had a 15 minute set. I did really well, um, and then Sam blew the roof off the room and that made my set four minutes long <laughs> and and sam's was you know 12 minutes or something he he was the uh, fire explosion out of the special and but that still was incredibly significant for me and uh, it meant a great deal to me and then the next thing that happened a couple years later because of course you never think you're going to work again and richard Pryor, uh, uh, he did a movie called critical condition and on an open audition, Marjorie Simpkin was the casting director, and I met Michael Apted and was in a movie called Critical Condition. Uh, and that was um, being able to work with Richard and Joe Montaigne. And that was my second start. But I was getting older already. I was 26 or something. And then I thought I'd never work again. And then I did a lot of road. You know, I did a, a lot of touring. I did a bunch of shows, did guest spots on shows. And then finally uh, got this show on CBS, the morning program, and then got fired from that because I was too hot for morning television. I would imagine. <laughs> Wait a minute. Because we, we all know what happens in your career and where, where, where we eventually get to for, right. you know, you're the biggest pop culture. Well, we don't know yet because we're still going to watch this new thing that's going to happen because I'm different now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Bill, was, Bill Burr is probably telling you it's different now. You know, when we go out and do comedy, which I have to do more than ever, it's really different now for me. What do you mean? It, it means more to me. It means even more to me. I, I feel like I have a responsibility now, almost in a fatherly sense, to not, um, to, if I'm going to cross boundaries, I better uh, tee it up really well. If I'm going to say something horrific as a joke of how horrific things are, as a comment on it, I better have a two-minute tee up and then a three minute apology prepared and ready to, you know, it just, it just becomes conversational. It's more, it's more of a conversation now than it's ever been with me than just joke, joke. It just doesn't, it's not the same anymore. Right. So, um, you know, oh, why did I get fired from the CBS no, yeah, morning program? Like I said, I, I've never heard that you did a CBS. Did you, look, was that a national gig or was that? Yeah, it was on gig? against the Today Show and Good Morning America. It was the so predecessor. The it was before that, but they turned it over. You ready for this? You'll appreciate this to the entertainment division. Now, CBS News 
didn't take too kindly to that. That's not what CBS News wants to do, is turn it over to the entertainment division. Yes, Mr. Paley uh, did not build the news division, so it can be turned over to the entertainment division. Exactly. So that so you were doing what? Like, good morning? I was uh, the host. Bob Saget? No, I was third banana. Uh, the, uh, the hosts were Marriott Hartley, and um, right? The actress, Marriott yeah. Hartley, and Rollin Smith, who had been a- He's a, a hardcore ma- newsman. Hardcore yeah. newsman. And then Mark McEwen, dear Mark McEwen, was the, the weather and music coverage of, of all music acts. And he um, was there for, you know, 10 to 12 years or something. And then he went to Florida after that. But this show lasted nine months, but I lasted five months because one morning, Marriott Hartley said, Bob, are you a type A person? I'd be there for chat, you know, just to chat, to be the humorous chat, like drive radio. But let's, and Bob Shanks, who started Good Morning America and wrote the book. I don't know if you remember the book, The Cool Fire, but it was about television. And he was, he's a historic man. He hired me off of a William Morris sample tape. And then I'm there and Marriott Hartley says, are you a type A person? And I said, yes, but I'm trying to work on my ANES. And what I meant was A-N-E-S-S, but it sounded like anus. So they sent me to my room, and my room didn't exist. There was a stairs, and then a door, and the commercial breaks were, they were 13 minutes apart, because it was 1987, six. And I had to stand behind a flat for like 10 minutes. They didn't let me come back down. And I knew right then and there, that I would no longer be on the show. And then the following week, I was just going, it's 15 minutes after the hour off camera. So I had, and I was discovering comedians. They would have, I would have comedians on like Roseanne and, and Joy Bahar and different people. So is this why Al Roker never said, here's what's going on in your neck of the ass, Bob? Is that, is that, uh... <laughs> here's what's going you on said... with your head, your head up my ass. <laughs> with your you neck see, up my, your exactly. up to your neck and, no, I took That's, it too far. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay. It's all right. But the, maybe you're, you know, you, you, you're, you're anus. Well, Al Roker and I, to, no, well, let me explain. Uh, Al Roker and I one time played chicken in a pool. So I, he was on my shoulders. So that actually did happen. <laughs> When did the uh, when did America's uh, home videos come your way? Well, that what happened was uh, when I got fired from the morning program, my manager Brad Gray called Jeff Franklin because they wanted me originally for Full House, and they they removed an actor who was very good in the part, and they hired me after I screen tested, and then I did the pilot, and then we did the series Full House, and a year later, um, I was sent a tape of these first videos that were in the very first pilot of America's Funniest Home Videos. And uh, they had seen me on The Tonight Show with Johnny showing a video of my wedding and narrating it and thought I'd be the good host, one of the producers from America's Funniest. Not Vin Bono, but Steve Pasquet is his Sure. Name. And I ended up um, doing the pilot for this show that we thought was going to be a special and then it was airing and I got a phone call because I had been friendly with Tom Hanks because I used to do the warm up for Bosom Buddies. So I get a call from Tom and he goes, what the hell is this? What am I watching? I said, I don't know. They had me host these clips and it's just people, people sending in tapes. And he said, 
this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. This is, are you kidding me? He says, I got to go. I got to watch this. And I just remember I was holding my firstborn um, and we were watching it and in Sherman Oaks. And it the next day we got to pick up for 13 episodes. And then the following year, moved to number one very quickly. It preceded YouTube, Bob. It preceded YouTube. There was no white. People had no internet. Margin. We were right. dial up. Yeah, but I'm serious. Like people, like people, now there's websites where people post their videos. There was, this preceded the whole idea of, you know, uh, everything from, you know, vacation video to nut shots to all of that yeah. stuff, you know? I, I mean, was, the, I always say I was the gatekeeper of the nut hit. If you wanted to see somebody get hit in the nads, you had to go through me. I was standing by the gate. <laughs> the, the nut. The gate. The nut. The gates of the nut. <laughs> exactly. You just tap your nuts on the gate and I let you in. Oh, man. And, and sports videos. We'd have, you know, and it's the one where the guy go, goes over the fence to catch the ball and his pants get hooked on the fence in his pants. If your pants fall off and it's not set up, you're going to win $10,000. <laughs> That's how life works now. <laughs> oh, that is so damn funny. And uh, again, uh, and then we'll before we get to the here and now with you, Full House, that was at the time something that you got. And this is because you said you wanted to be on TV and you saw what people were doing. It was a dream because it was done by Miller Boyette and, um, and Jeff Franklin, who I'd known because he was a writer on Laverne and Shirley. And I knew him from from Bosom Buddies and and Bob Boyette and Tom Miller. Uh, the producers knew me from Bosom Buddies because I they even put me on the show once as the warm-up guy, audience warm-up guy. And then um, they'd also seen me in, in the Richard Pryor movie. And so that happened. It didn't do well for the first four years. People always thought it was on Fridays. It was on Tuesdays. And we were on against Seinfeld. And they weren't doing well right. for the first couple of years. So we were competing against each other, not doing well, drawing different audiences. Um and I was excited about it because I love acting and it was a character. And and I said, let's make him like Felix Unger. Let's make him a neat freak. And I want to hug people because I hug people. Not the past year and a half, but I, I do. <laughs> um, and then uh, next thing I knew, they just they thought that that's what I'm like. And you, you can't deviate from that if that's what they think you're like. And Anthony Hopkins eats people. We know that because... <laughs> Once you're Hannibal, I believe the characters are who they play. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he covers what Tom, Yeah. If Tom Cruise can do his own stunts and also cancel the Golden Globes, then he is the guy from Mission Impossible. He is that guy. You, you, are, you just crack me up. You always have, Bob. Well, you're, no, you're, you're just a, nice. No, I'm not. It's it's the truth. It's just the truth. And I, I didn't know. I, I've known you for a long time, but I didn't know a lot about this. And like you warmed up the crowd for bosom buddies that had to have been well i was friends with chris thompson was my friend and incredibly funny guy he originated the show and gary shanling introduced me to him in the bathroom at the comedy store so that was the early 80s so you can only imagine the antics but it was uh it was a cool thing i'd still would go on the road and then uh my friend barry diamond would fill in for me while i was doing the road and then come back to do the warm up. It's a good experience for a person that's starting out to do television warm up because 
God, there's a guy, Ron Pearson, who was doing Fuller House for a long time. And he's so talented, you know, and you end up with hours and hours of material. And if that's one route you want to go, the other is, you know, strictly do the circuit or find the places where you can get a stage if you want to do stand up. So let's get to the here and now. You're back on the road. People can go get tickets and see where you are at bobsaget.com, right? Or is it done? That is correct. Yes. And I'm actually going to be updating that website and put your picture on it so that you'll be able to take responsibility for anything. Um, I'm, I'm putting your email on it and so that say, people can... Yeah, they'll say you normally work so clean when I see you on TV, Rich. Like, what happened? Like, <laughs> the usual well, thing I, you get, I am Bob. cleaner. You I, are. I am oddly cleaner. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't have the desire... I mean, everybody... Uh, drops the uh, f-bomb once in a while but it, not everybody i mean some people are smart but i i just talk the way i kind of talk but i don't i'm not that much different than this it's a conversation and you know I'm, I'm almost 65 even though um from the waist down i i look about about eight um <laughs> but um wow i got i gotta recover from that comment no it's okay Bob, it's fine. Know, it's just, it's put, fine. It's, it, I saw the Instagram photograph that you put out there. Uh, yeah, and people the thought day. that was real. All I did was put it on Facetune and take my my waist and push it all the way to the point where you, there's no room for a spine or internal organs. And my wife Kelly said, "No, make it thinner. Make it like an hourglass. People are going to think that it's real." Yeah. I went, "No, no, they're not. It's an obvious Photoshop." Um, and then people are going, this is photoshopped. I'm like, okay, okay, Gen Z, have a nice time not understanding anything. But um, the truth of it is, yeah, I'm more in love with what I'm doing now. I've got a thing I'm going to direct. We're getting it set up now. I just did a movie in the Cayman Islands during going COVID quarantine. I was able to go there and do this movie called Blue Iguana, um, which I think is going to be called Killing Daniel. But it's, it was directed by Jeremy Lalonde, who's very good, and it had really good people in it. It was uh, uh, Joel David Moore and Jason Jones and Carly Chaikin and Mary Lynn Rice Cub and, um, people, and Chantel Riley, all good people. And so we'll see how that does. And uh, then your and pod, then look at your, your my podcast podcast the, is your pod, Bob Saget's here for you. Now, now walk me through how that, how you did that. Well, I started it uh, at the beginning of this podcast. That was <laughs> you can really take out everything about me because it goes right to here. That's how I started incorrectly. I didn't get the concept of your of your it's show, okay. which it's I like because it's great. Because people like people do like hearing about how people started. Because then they're trying to figure out how can I make my way in the world if I want to be an athlete, if I want to be anything, no matter what I want to do. I want to run a company. I say Bitcoin, everybody. That's the way to go. Everybody, everybody who hasn't. I'm joking, by the way. I would never recommend it. No, no. Everyone has a a start and everybody's trying to, if you will, work on their anus, Bob. You know, if they're anus. Right. You're you're actually, the answer is type A is the answer. I'm a workaholic. I've always worked very hard. I'm not satisfied unless I work really hard. So, you know, if I'm not around, well, nobody's been able to be that around during this time. I was able to do a movie and do some stand-up, which is a miracle. But, and be on some shows, like The Masked Singer, you know, it's like, oh, God, for three, for what three a moment years, they that said, was you in want- this household, Bob. 
What am, <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't reach out to you. Oh well, my God. What happened is for three years, they said, you want to be on it? I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, I'm okay. I don't want to be in a mascot suit. I'm fine. And I, you know, and then Ken Jong's a friend, Robin Thicke's a friend because I was very close with his dad. And, and then one day after six months of quarantine, they said, Craig Plestis said, do you want to be on it? I said, pick me up, pick me up, test me every day, put me in a mascot suit, put a visor on me, beat me with a fungo bat. I don't care what you do to me. I'll sing anything with a head that weighs 40 pounds, cut off my larynx, kill me. I don't care what you do to me. I can't, I got to be around people, even if I'm not allowed. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But um, the truth of it is now I'm about to start a tour tour so I can um, uh, go out and, and then do a new special at the end of the year, which will, I'll be doing and I'll be telling people when that's going to be. And so they can come to it and then see it when we know when it is. And I'm also working on um, a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. I got things in development as they say, uh, because I don't want to, people say stuff sometimes like, Oh, I'm doing this and that. But you know, even if you read it in deadline Hollywood, it doesn't mean that it's, it's got, you gotta, it's gotta be out. You gotta see somebody saying this will be on this streamer Tuesday. But you're on every day. Yeah, I'm on too much, Bob. I'm trying to be no, present for my kids. You know, but here, here, here funny thing. So kids so my are kid- not as important as a career. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got to write that down. Teach it to your kids. Have them go around saying it. Because we we watch The Mass Singer all the time. My kids watch The Mass Singer all the time. And the number of times that my wife and I sit there with the reveal and we're like, look at each other. Like, who is that person or for real? And then when you get revealed, for us to be able to tell our children, you have no idea how long we've known this man. We know this man. We actually were you surprised? know this guy. Oh my- were you surprised? Uh, yeah, Bob. <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Some people were not. Like Candace uh, Cameron Bure, my daughter from Full House and Fuller House, knows my voice. So she started screaming and they got mad at her because it was a spoiler alert on, on her uh, Instagram. That's Bob. Oh, my God. That's oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, we you know, we know your voice and your cadence, I would say, but not not enough to, you know, see cut through all of this stuff. And, you know. For us, we, we're we're trying to relate to our children with with this show and our and best we can, because it's family television. It's kind it of like what it's like what what all those appointment television shows used to be. It's really quite an amazing success that so many people love it. They do. Um, they love it, and you know they always sit there and so here's the rule: they always think it is the most famous person in the world underneath the mask. They always think that. So the, the but, number and of then time- I took my head off. No, <laughs> that's not the point. I, where, where the number well, it of ain't times- the rock. <laughs> so here's so here's it, it. There's a there's a deal in the house, and this God bless them. They're still so young. Where they this is the the um, this is the drama part of the drama of the reveal in the house for the mass singer. They get one hundred dollars if it's an Obama of any name an Obama, <laughs> Beyonce or LeBron James. If it is an Obama, LeBron James, or Beyonce, because they're always thinking, oh, you that's got to be your Beyonce. Children? $100. That's when you pay them? They will get one, a crisp $100 bill from dad. That's, that's, that's terrible. The you're paying, it's a gift if they it's guess. It's a gift because I keep telling them, they keep saying, oh, it's got to be Barack Obama. Oh, it's Beyonce. Oh, it's LeBron James. I'm like, it's not. And they're like, what if it is? If it is, I give you $100. I love that your kids don't know how showbiz works. They don't. 
that LeBron James is not getting in that costume. I'll tell you, the only person that might never get in it that I wouldn't be shocked is Kevin Hart because he literally is in every single medium that exists. And he's so amazing at everything, but I don't think he would have time to do what you need to do because you got to rehearse. You have to work. Yes. But I, I don't think you're going to see movie stars that are out working movie after movie being able to put the amount of time in. Right. What about the 44th president of the United States? Like, they're like, that's Barack Obama. I'm like, no. Right. As a matter of fact, we'll just broaden the entire scope. Sasha Malia uh, or Michelle as well. Any Obama. Name an Obama. King James or Le- or Beyonce, they get a hundred dollars. What about break. George W? Do you think he would do it? I don't think so. I don't. But he they paints also pictures of dogs. He might come out as a little puppy, and that's the biggest hint ever. What were you again? What was your costume again? Squiggly monster, and I chose it because it looked like a lot of boobs all over my body. <laughs> and and I'm sorry, everybody, if that offends anybody. I'm talking like not nor- like another planet. No, you I know, understand. I mean. You know, I, I don't know what to do because oh, I don't, God. I don't know. Oh, I looked like something from another world. You know, it doesn't. And they looked, and I wanted the eyeballs to twirl, and they said they can't do that. They have to be fixed. I said Next people time. are going to think they're. I said, well, I said people are going to think they're boobs, man boobs, and uh, they said uh, we don't know if he's a man or woman. And I said I am so invested in this character. <laughs> Um, and I had forearms and lobster claws. And to keep me calm, they had a bucket of drawn butter for me in the back. <laughs> I'll tell you who I was really pissed off at is uh, Paul Anka, who I never knew was broccoli. Now, if you're telling me that I'm competitive with broccoli, then you know that I'm having, it's either the pandemic or I got career problems or both. I'm angry that Paul Anka is broccoli. I, I don't know. This funny thing is just, I guess, to bring this all full circle back to my parents. For some reason, I don't understand why my parents, I grew up that with, with them telling me that they had such an animus, a hatred for Paul Anka. I don't know why. He never did anything to her. He, they hated what? him. Yes, my mother could but he was, not He wrote him. so many great songs. I don't know. The Tonight Show theme, too. I mean, all of it. I well, don't know why. But so he wrote, you know. he wrote the lyrics to My Way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say other than the fact that for some reason, when Paul Anka was revealed as broccoli and I called my mom up, I'm like, guess who was revealed? Oh, like, honestly, you get that's the, the, the voice. Oh, was I it a height thing? Are they, are they, are they, are they, I don't know. I don't know. But do they profile height, height of people? I don't know. I don't know, but this every single five minutes in this conversation, something's come up that's reminded me of my own past. My her mother's my, my grandmother's name was Grandma Minnie, so you went to Grandma Minnie's, uh, you know, a comedy show. Oh, that's I, interesting. It was, not my, it was not my Grandma Minnie. I know that for a fact. So it's really no. Amazing. It was actually the owner's grandma. There you go. So there was another Minnie and <sighs> Philly. What city did you come out of? Staten Island, New York, sir. Grandma Minnie was in Brooklyn. Prettiest. So. That's basically Pete Davidson is the mayor at this That's point. That's right. Exactly. So Bob Saget's here for new, you every episode. Uh, new episodes come out every Monday. Tiffany Haddish, Jason Sudeikis, Whoopi Goldberg, Norman Lear, uh, just some of the guests. Chelsea Handler is this week. Joel McHale's is next. Great guest list, Bob. I can't wait to hear Yeah, it. and, they're, and most are friends or people that I've known for years or people that I just reach out to and I'd be... I, like Jake Tapper, I just reached out online and he goes, you don't know how much this means to me. Your mother and my mother worked at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And when you were 20, 
when you were in college, when you were 19, 18 years old, your mother would tell my mother at lunch that you were going to be, my Bobby's going to be a big star one day. And Jake said as a kid, he had to listen to this because he's a lot younger than me. But it was so interesting to have a connection. We, this, we all have a connection that we don't, we're not even aware of, you know? Right. And you, you should have, Jake's my guest next week. I've known him for years. You will love him. The two of you will just be I, like I that. adore him. I mean, he is, and his, his new book looks yeah. like exactly what you and I would love. Like it's about Sinatra and and and, uh, and Reagan and all that. It's, it's, it's going to be amazing next week. And everybody should get your podcast. Bob Saget's here for you. BobSaget.com to check out the new stand-up tour, adding eight uh, dates to a daily from June onward. Bob, I love you, man. Thanks for doing this podcast. I, lo- I love you, Rich. I really right do. And, and I love your wife, even though she's been in many, many men's locker rooms. <laughs> Just like in any given Sunday. Is that it? And isn't that the name of it? Was that the name? That's a football movie, yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, well, they had Cameron Diaz in the locker room interviewing all the players nude out of the shower, and it was no big whoop. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. And Susie kind of did that. She was in locker rooms, and she told me about it, and she, I think she dreams about it. (laughs) I do hear her screaming about Randy Johnson every now and then, and I wonder what the hell that's all about. So, Well, how do you get a a last name like that? I mean, that's... (laughs) It's right there on the wall. His I mean, nickname was you. the big unit for a reason, Bob. That was his oh nickname. Oh, my God. And my last name is Saget, and I did not choose it because that's not a name you choose. <laughs> you have a great name. It's almost like Einstein. It makes it sound like you're smart. I love you, Bob Saget. Thanks for coming on. I love you, Rich Eisen. Bob Saget here on Just Getting Started. Oh, my gosh. My uh, my face is hurting. I'm wondering if yours are as well, wherever you're taking in this edition of, of Just Getting Started. And there's a lot to take in right there from Bob. But here's the one thing that I take away from it, because it's similar to my experience that I had when I got to ESPN at age 26. He referred to himself as an older comedian at age 26 because he had done what he was doing uh, fresh out of college, starting off at the comedy store in Los Angeles and seeing all of these people he referred to as his elders, not his colleagues, folks like Letterman and Leno and Robin Williams and Richard Pryor and so on and so forth and Rodney Dangerfield. But they are his colleagues now and they were at the time as well. And it's interesting he referred to, as I said, them as his elders And that is a way that I walked into ESPN at age 26, um, where I was struck by lightning. I've told this story a few times. If you hadn't heard some of this before, um, I share my my own personal experiences here on on the podcast coming out of the interview, where I, I pull on a little bit of a strand from what I just heard from my guest, from their origin story experience, if it dovetails with mine or reminds me of of a moment of my of my own. But I was age 26 when I was hired and found in Redding, California, a small market TV station in Redding, Chico area, uh, north, way north of of Sacramento in Northern California. It's near, closer to Oregon than anywhere else. ESPN hired me, found me there, age 26. I wind up in the ESPN community, in the newsroom at ESPN, where there were dozens and dozens of people more, you know, jam-packed with human beings more than just the 12 that I was working with in this small station. And the people who I am now working with and being thrown in the mix are people who I revered and idolized watching on television from Chris Berman to 
my buddy Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Bob Lee and Robin Roberts and Charlie Steiner and um, Craig Kilborn. It was amazing and daunting at the same time, but I, I didn't let it phase me. And that's what I think was pretty neat about Bob there in the same way that he got advice from Robin Williams about his delivery or his material. I got the same stuff from Keith Olbermann um, where he took an interest and it was humbling and also could have been very overwhelming. And it was at times to get that advice unvarnished from, from Keith. Um, but I, I refuse to be overwhelmed by it. At times, I did feel inferior. I felt very inferior sometimes, uh, wondering if I'll ever get to the point where I could be in their league uh, in terms of experience um, and how many sports center reps it would take for me to actually be in the realm of that class of broadcaster that, say, Keith or Dan were in. And, you know, eventually I, I, I felt more and more comfortable day in and day out. But you could be, you know, thrown in a mix of a new situation for yourself and you've been hired or you've gotten the opportunity because thankfully somebody saw something in you or you twisted an arm or you used a relationship to get into this spot. And you might be looking around and thinking to yourself, do you really belong do you really have what it takes to be in this room? And all I would say to you is you got in the room. So the answer is yes. The question is, what are you going to do with the opportunity? What are you going to do? And being overwhelmed by your surroundings and who else is in the room with you, despite their level of experience or level of success, it's to me, having that overwhelm you is a waste of your energy because you got there. And all you got to do is get in the room, get that one opportunity and go for it. And that's what it reminded me of when Bob was telling the story of all these people that were there. And that's why I said, they're your colleagues. He said, no, they were my elders, but they eventually became his colleagues. You know, even though technically some of them are his elders in terms of age. But if you're good at what you do, it's ageless. It's basically what I'm trying to say. And that's it for this episode of Just Getting Started. My buddy, Jake Tapper of CNN and this new remarkable novel called The Devil May Dance. Wait till you uh, hear about Jake's origin stories and how he has made himself into what he is today. So thanks for taking this episode of Just Getting Started. We'll see you next Wednesday. 